You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. So a few months ago, a good friend and member of the It's Been a Minute team, Anjali Sastry, she left to go work on a new top-secret project. This project is now complete. It's out there in the world, and it is no longer a secret. And I'm so excited to have Anjali this episode share some of that work with us. Anjali, hey, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Also, it's not top secret, Sam. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I guess first, how long have you been gone? You've you've been working on this thing for a few months now. How long has it been? Yeah, like four months at this point. Yep. Okay. Also feels really weird to be on this side of the mic. Mm -hmm. Well, you sound great. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Thank you. Tell our listeners what this project is, this not top secret project. So this Not Top Secret Project, I'm working on a new series. It's called Where We Come From. And on it, immigrants of color and their kids tackle that question we get asked all the time. Where are you from? Where do you come from? What seems like an easy question. No, where are you really from? Carries with it so much weight. Where do you belong? In the in-between. I belong to myself. It's an emotional environment. Soy Becky. I'm wondering, like... Was there a particular where are you really from that you got that made you say, okay, this is enough. This is like, this is too much. (laughs) Well, one of the episodes is about what the thing that resonated most with me. I think one of the episodes is about like names, like given names, what you're born with and how people just like mispronounce your name Mm -hmm. and what that really means to you. And like how sometimes you have to change that name to protect yourself um, or you just let people butcher it. And you kind of hide a part of yourself. And so, you know, coming into your own and maybe you got to change your name and in order to fit in and assimilate um, or maybe you end up embracing your given name. But I think that was one that really just struck me, like how complex this question really is. Like, how do you define the where you come from question or like, how do you define it for yourself? And it just takes so many forms, you know? Yeah. I want to talk about the episode that you're bringing to us, but I am curious to hear what you say now when people ask you, where are you really from? So I have to say that I do get a little defensive where I'm like, I know, I know what's coming. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm from the Bay Area. Like I, I live in California, but I almost like 99% of the time people push back and they're like, no, but where? So of course I like backtrack a little bit and I'm like, okay, yeah, my parents were both born in Andhra Pradesh in India Um, And so I guess I'm from South India. Um, So I do pick the place on the map. But like, there's just so many things at that moment that are just going through my head. Like, do I talk about um, what I do for a living? (laughs) Do I talk about, you know, the feelings that I grew up with and how my cultural identity has affected me and like not really feeling like I belong in India and in the US. Um, And also, you know, I guess it could come back to food, which kind of relates to the story that I'm bringing you today. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And also, I'm so glad that the episode that you brought to this show is one about food, because you know my heart. You really do. I do. I do. So this is just for you guys. Um, I know you and the fans on IBAM. So the conversation I'm bringing you today, it's between a daughter and a mother. Do you want to introduce yourself? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Um, hi, my name is Priya Krishna. I'm a reporter for the food section of the New York Times, and this is my mom, Ritu. Hi, my name is Ritu Krishna, Priya's mom. She's 
retired and loving it. <laughs> yep, that's um, right. And we co-authored the cookbook Indian-ish together about the food that I grew up with that my mom cooked for me. In going looking for answers to the where we come from question, I was really interested in, you know, how people assimilate and change their cooking styles depending on how they were raised, who they were raised by, and like where they were raised. So it just so happened that Priya and her mom wrote this cookbook together. And it's interesting to read how Ritu changed her cooking style after moving to the U.S. and like how that in turn influenced Priya, who is, of course, now this famous food writer. Um, and as a kid, Priya didn't start off fully appreciating her mom's style of cooking and also her mom just like having to cook something efficient and healthy and put it on the table after a long day of work. Like, I'm sure we've all been there, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, d- I definitely didn't appreciate what it took for my mom to make me a good meal when I was a kid. Like, I was just picky and always wanted pizza and ice cream. Like, I didn't care what kind of Indian food she was putting on the table. Do you care now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely do. Like, sometimes I crave, I find myself craving some of this food, which I would never have, like, as a kid. I was just, I was nasty. Okay. Cue it up, Anjali. Pull it out, Betty, and say, let's start the show if you want. (laughs) Okay, let's start the show. I wanted to make dal with my mom because dal is one of those dishes that, at least for me, As a kid, you're like, dal again. Why can't we eat like a quote-unquote regular American family? Turmeric, salt. As time went on, I was like, dal is incredible. There's nothing like the smell of cumin (laughs) or onion, honestly. It's just like healthy, it is wholesome, it is delicious. Dal, to me, is sort of one of those defining dishes of my life mm. and my family. Mm. What's it taste really like? Good. And one that has... So this is hitting the spot. ...sort of come to define comfort for me. Priya and her mom take over this episode after the break. Support for NPR and Where We Come From is provided by I Am an Immigrant, a project of Forward.us Education Fund. This Immigrant Heritage Month, I Am an Immigrant is lifting up the contributions of immigrants of all backgrounds who serve in essential frontline roles to combat the COVID-19 pandemic, and historically in times of crisis throughout our country's history. Millions of individuals with immigrant backgrounds are working tirelessly to keep our communities healthy and safe. To hear their stories, visit IamanImmigrant.com slash IHM. An internal investigation found that a cop with the California Highway Patrol sexually harassed 21 women. But those findings were kept secret until a new state transparency law passed. We dug through hours of tapes to find out what happens to officers who cross the line. Listen to On Our Watch, a podcast from NPR and KQED. I wanted to talk to my mom directly about what those first moments were like when she arrived in America. I mean, these are moments that I will never be able to understand being born here. When I first came here, finding Indian ingredients to cook, even though it was a once in a while type of cooking, was very difficult. So we used to go once every couple of months and stock Mm -hmm. up Mm -hmm. and get your groceries. And we did that for good, probably five years. And then we moved to Nashua, New Hampshire. An Indian store opened in Nashua. Mm. And that became our go-to place. And it was much more convenient because it was just in our backyard. But the interesting thing was 
there weren't too many Indians who were going to that store, so the turnover was not very yeah. high. So a lot yeah. of the things we would buy were used to be old. So how did your cooking really start to evolve and change and sort of become what it is now? I think the biggest influence for me was just watching the cooking programs because, yeah. um, you know, I had really unknowingly embarked on a educational endeavor where watching TV was a way I was teaching myself yeah. how things were in this country. And so I, I discovered Julia Child. Hello, this is Julia Child. Welcome to I this discovered Ming Tsai. You know, one of the things that really draws me to Asian cuisines is heat. Martin Yan, Yan can cook Chinese food. I have designed a complete Chinese vegetarian meal. It we was have. a huge learning experience. Julia Child was probably the most influential in that I learned some very basic French cooking techniques, just watching her, you know, how she deglazed the pan, how, you know, making pastry. Put, put a little bit of flour on, actually. You know, laminating. Remember to use the heel of your hands, not the palms. You know, it really broadened my horizons. Yeah. Because I remember learning how to bake and make things with egg in it, mm -hmm. which if I ate an egg, it was boiled egg or maybe an omelet. Mm -hmm. I distinctly remember watching a Julia Child program and cooking this, um, it was called corn timble, I think. Uh -huh. It has eggs in it uh -huh. and fresh corn. So I was very proud of what I had come up with. And I think Tauji was visiting. Uh -huh. um, this is my dad's brother. Yeah. And uh, I had oversalted it and <laughs> he just spit it out. <laughs> It was most demoralizing because my first experiment. I think my mom always loved cooking. And I think when she first immigrated here, and even though she didn't know exactly what Julia was cooking all the time, she found comfort in, in the act of cooking. Because with cooking, there is this warmth. Um, there is this sort of reaching out for connection. And I think that's why she loved those shows. Can I start? Yeah, but let's just talk through, maybe let's talk through what we're gonna put in the dal first. Oh, you're making the Instant Pot, cool. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I do now. Very modern. Yeah. Um, all right, so this is Kali Masur dal. It sort right. of has a brown interior, and when you crack it open, it's, it's orange. So you wanna mm. measure one cup? Wow, you measure now, mm. huh? <laughs> the first, real uh, opportunity to assimilate came when I started going to school, which was within months of mm -hmm. me arriving here. So I started at University of Lowell at Massachusetts. There I had <clears throat> uh, Lebanese friends. I had a mm -hmm. Vietnamese friend. So uh, yeah, I mean, I went to her house, learned, you know, ate Vietnamese food. She mm -hmm. would make me things and that would be my first time getting exposed to that kind right. of food because given growing up in India really no other than eating foods from different parts of India you really and Chinese food there was really no other cuisine that we had been exposed to. So I love the idea new. that like assimilating for you was like assimilating within other immigrant communities versus like trying to almost like fit in with like white people. <laughs> yeah, so actually, funny you should say that. The, I think the assimilation with the white people part came 
few months later, because mm-hmm. one of our neighbors, you know, Michael and Lise, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they were really my first exposure to assimilation with white people mm-hmm. because we became really good friends. I would babysit their kids. Mm-hmm. I learned to eat pork chop, shrimp scampi, all mm-hmm. kinds of, you know, mm-hmm. non-familiar dishes that I'd never eaten. And just culturally, you know, how families are, how how they live, the relationships that people have. And slowly it became, you know, our job for each other. Michael and Lise would teach me about their cuisine, their culture, their mm-hmm. way of life. And I was doing the same from my side. Right. So, I mean, there's one story that I think I've told you many times that Lise's uh, son, Michael, would come to our house and he was just a cutest little boy. He picked up on the fact that anything you eat at Ritu's house has spices in it. Yeah. Which, you know, for Michael and Lise was a very unusual, unknown experience. And so I gave him an apple one day, and he turns to Lise and says, Mom, is this spicy apple? (laughs) Because he was just so used to eating everything in my house that had spices. And and they didn't even have to be hot. It was just the fact that they were spices. Yeah. This is like a very classic order of operations. You toast your spices, you add your alliums, you add your other vegetables, bean or lentils, you garnish. Now you can chop the tomatoes. All right. And I'm going to wash some cilantro for you. Okay. My mom just seems to have this mom magic. I think it's just this intuition on knowing how much of this, how much of that what is sort of that perfect balance of ingredients. And I'm getting those intuitions, but I don't think I have them the way that my mom does. When we come back, after living in New Hampshire for a bit, the Krishna family moves to Texas. Ritu discovers what works for her when she's cooking for Priya and Priya's sister, Mira. When you kids came into our lives, then it became clear that we needed to really get more regular with our cooking and so on. Mm -hmm. And whenever I could, I would just make fresh vegetables, you know, squash Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. beans and peas and as well as khichri, a version of, you know, rice and beans. I realized that just what I had absorbed watching, you know, my grandmother or my Mm -hmm. mother cooking or my aunts, it was enough that I had a basic innate right. sense in me that I could cook. And then when we moved to Dallas in early 90s, it was a major change because we were coming to a state where there were already a good uh, right. critical mass of right. Indian uh, who were already here. And there were Indian grocery stores much more easily to be found. I remember midday driving with dad to Dodge and he would often like park me and Mira in that like uh, the chat place right. in, yeah, the back, in the back and yeah. he would get like get me a pale puri and Mira an alu tikki and we would happily eat that while he grocery shopped. Right. It was honestly an amazing idea that you know while you grocery shop you just have your kids eating food in the back and then you go retrieve them when you're done shopping. 
As a kid, without realizing it, I was remarkably good at compartmentalizing my Indian identity and my American identity, and at sort of code switching when I was at home versus at school. So of course, when I was an Indian in an Indian grocery store, I was an Indian kid who loved alu tikki and pail puri and alu paranta and all of these things. But like, as soon as I landed at school or was at my friend's house, I was very good at sort of presenting in a way that I felt would be acceptable to that audience that I was with. Okay, so we're going to wash the lentils. I don't always wash my lentils, but I'm going to my mom them. does, and you probably should wash your lentils. Why do you wash your lentils, mom? Oh, just to remove any crud. This one is very clean. All right, and now we put the spices in. Yeah, you can put the bay leaf in. Okay, so we're gonna put the bay leaf in here. Do I have to measure? You don't have to measure. <laughs> you, you don't this have is, to measure, but thank you for asking. <laughs> Did you like register or like sympathize with the notion that I didn't want to take Indian food to school? Partially. I think you and Meera, neither one of you wanted to take anything Indian, but I felt there were enough things that wouldn't have very strong smell and you could still take mm -hmm. some, but I think, you know, that this is where you as an Indian kid assimilating with mm -hmm. and, you know, being accepted and all of that came into the picture. So I was, I was happy to kind of evolve because one of the big things I always knew that we would experience and you know you guys as our kids would experience is this mixed background you know on the one hand you are being brought up as Indian kids on the other hand you're living in in America and the culture and the values and in some ways going to be not only different but may at times clash even so I wanted to do everything to make that easier for you. But you didn't feel like sad or bad or take it personally? I mean, I, no, I, no, I didn't. I was happy to adapt because I knew that when you came home, you were still going, I would still have the opportunity to yeah. make sure that you knew the foods that we grew up with. And, and I had that level of control that I could but it was cook never those like things for you. I feel like you are, and you, you were back then, still an exceptional cook. And I just feel like if I made something really exceptional and my kid didn't want to take it to school, I'd be like, do you know how good you have it? Like, was there ever, like any feeling like that? <laughs> Lucky for you, I didn't have that because otherwise I'd be forcing you to take it. Because, uh, And in some ways, it was easier to make a peanut butter sandwich. Honestly... Thinking about my mom making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for us every day because we didn't want Indian food hurts my heart. <laughs> I wish she had fought back. I understand why she didn't. But if my kid asks to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich instead of Indian food, I'm going to at least interrogate it. I'm not just going to accept it. <laughs> carefully measured salt mm -hmm. and that's it and that's it so what are you what are you doing this for how long i'm gonna cook it for 16 minutes 16 minutes on high pressure yeah all right so we're just gonna let this do its thing so i want to talk a little bit more about 
doll because doll is one of those things that I feel like there were points in my childhood where you had to really like force feed it yeah, for sure. to me. But now I am like sort of the number one doll advocate. I love Gali Masur because it almost has, it almost tastes like you've put butter or cream. It has this butteriness to it that develops from, I guess, the starches that you don't get with other varieties that kind of turn soupier or brothier? Yeah, it's probably one of the more tastier dals mm -hmm. for sure because there is a version of this dal that is known as French lentils mm -hmm. with some slight variation. Yep. And I think this might be one of the oldest dals because I seem to remember reading at one point that they're like thousands of years old. They're like <laughs> eight, ten thousands of years. So, you know, we've been eating dal for a long time, but this right. is probably one of the older dals. After that, all the experience of dal that I talk about is from my North Indian upbringing. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if you look across India, there are certain subsets of dals that are eaten in different right. parts of India. So for example, in the South, they eat a lot of tur dal or arher mm -hmm. dal as mm -hmm. we call it. Whereas in the North, we eat a lot of different kinds yeah. of dals and beans. I kind of put them in the same broad category, legumes. I feel like for me, dal and like lentils in general are just like so elemental to my diet and to what I eat. And it's always so surprising to me. You know, I guess in the same way that people are surprised that like I don't, I don't really eat hamburgers or like chicken tenders. It's surprising to me when people are like, oh, dal, like lentils? That's yeah, not really a regular part of my diet. Yeah, and I think we, people don't realize how versatile they are. You can turn them into salads, soups, stews, you know. You can do so many things with it. You can I probably it, yeah. should have, while you guys were growing up, not made the Indian style of dal every day. I should have done a few variations of it. Totally. Maybe that would have helped, but... I remember one time you made dal and you put it in tortillas and you sort of it was like a dal burrito yeah. once for me that was right really good. so that was kind of like a mexican <laughs> yeah. you know be, be, putting instead of putting beans you put dal <clears throat> in there yeah the reason dal was comfort is because it was healthy it was easy to make and it reminded her of the food that she ate every day when she was living in India. It was sort of that trifecta of qualities that made it kind of quintessential comfort food. I think the doll is ready. I'm just gonna vent, can I vent it? This is... That's it, All right, it's ready. so let's serve some. I'll put this back on the thing. It has nice, chewy bite to it. The smokiness of the cumin seed is coming through. Just the way that the lentils, they have lost their shape, but still retain some of that shape. So you're getting that like texture, that butteriness, like the liquid itself has sort of thickened up really nicely. Just this texture is so good. My dal is great, but it will never taste as good as my mom's. And I'll never know why, because she literally added all the same ingredients that I do. <laughs> but there's some kind of strange alchemy that happens when your mom makes dal and it tastes <laughs> 10 times better than your own dal. Mm. So my last question is, how do you think that 
our relationship to food or our respective relationships to food have changed our relationship to one another? Mm. I think we've gotten closer because we can relate on this additional dimension that mm-hmm. we couldn't do before. And me being able to call you and say, hey, you know, Chotu, I have these ingredients. What shall mm-hmm. I make? Mm-hmm. I feel at a, you know, that Indian culture level, I feel comfortable that when you have kids, you'll be able to feed them some of the basic Indian mm-hmm. dishes mm-hmm. and through which some of my Indianness, Indian <laughs> culture will sort of, you know, get passed on. Because I remember that one time, I had come to New York, and this is in the early days of Indianish, mm-hmm. and I was starving, and I said, Priya, I'm hungry, let's go get something to eat. And he said, Mom, I just cooked some zucchini sabzi and some raita, it's in the fridge. I said, what? <laughs> so it just suddenly made me all warm and made me feel so good that, hey, I can go to my kid's place and eat what I eat at home. When my mom tastes my food and enjoys it, it is better than when any other person tastes my food and enjoys it, whether I'm making her food or not. Because, you know, my mom is my role model, but she is especially my cooking role model. I mean, the woman doesn't miss when it comes to cooking. Thanks to New York Times food writer Priya Krishna and her mom, Ritu Krishna. Thanks also to Priya's dad, Shailene Krishna, for some extra production help. You can catch more stories like this one on our website at npr.org and across NPR audio and video platforms. Where We Come From was created and produced by me, Anjali Sastry. Our visuals producer and editor is Michael Zamora. Our assistant producer is Deba Motasham. Our senior editor is Julia Ferlan. Yolanda Sanguini is our director of programming. Our supervising video editor is Nicole Werbeck. Additional production and editing by Liam McBain and Jordana Hochman. Thanks also to Christina Kala, Audrey Wynn, Brent Bachman, Megan Kane, and Connor Donovan for their input on this episode. Shout out also to Josh Newell for audio engineering. And a huge shout out and love to my entire team at It's Been a Minute for letting where we come from crash the show today. It's Been a Minute is back as usual Friday with Sam. Bye.